Good morning. My name is Ike Nicholson. Uh, I'm one of the senior pastor here, and I want to give James, our new director of communications, all of the credit uh, for that video. So let's give James a round of applause. I, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're getting ready to start a new series. Uh, as you can see, Lent for Dummies. Uh, Lent doesn't begin for another couple of weeks, so this is a series of, of preparation uh, as we get ready to head into that season. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a few moments. Um, one of the uh, uh, values of our congregation is, is that we believe that God's Word is our final authority. And so if you're able, would you be willing to stand with me together as we read God's Word, if you're able to please stand. Today's lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew 6, beginning in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As I said, in just a few weeks, uh, we're going to uh, celebrate or observe the season of Lent. Christians all over the world are going to observe this. Now, the word Lent comes from an old Latin word, Lenten, which simply means lengthen. And the name comes from the lengthening of days. The days are getting longer. Thanks be to God for that. Lent is a period in today's church of 40 days, which serves as a preparation period to celebrate Easter, or as the church calls it, the feast day of the resurrection. You'll, you'll notice the emphasis on feast day. In just a moment, I'll explain that. Or resurrection Sunday. We actually trace this season of preparation all the way back to the second century. There were some old guys back in the second century named Irenaeus of Lyons. He lived in Gaul, which is uh, modern-day France, uh, and Tertullian, who lived in North Africa. I love these old guys. Uh, matter of fact, when my wife and I had our son, we, I wanted to name him Irenaeus Polycarp. She said no. Uh, I said, well, how about Ignatius Tertullian? She said no. So, uh, but they had some great names back then. Uh, Irenaeus and Tertullian actually write about... <clears throat> we still have their their writings, write about this time of preparation before Easter, before Resurrection Sunday. And back in the second century, it was 40 hours. And I I didn't misspeak, 40 hours. And uh, it was, uh, uh, they were describing that the church, before they celebrated Easter Sunday, uh, fasted for 40 hours. They didn't eat anything for 40 hours. Now, there's a long history about that, but uh, from about the second century till about the year 325 A.D., so about 125, 130 years, that 40 hours became 40 days. 
And the 40 days of preparation before the celebration of Easter was intended to remind us and to join us with the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness when he was tempted. Now, part of this season of Lent focuses on some disciplines or practices that are important to Christians all year, but are particularly emphasized during the season of Lent. Now, these disciplines should really be a part of our Christian life all the time throughout the year. Things like prayer, things like fasting, things like Bible study or Bible reading, private and corporate worship, charity to the poor, reconciling ourselves to those with whom our relationship may be broken. And so these things are things that should be a natural part of every believer's life. These should be things that all of us can point to in our own lives. Now, in this new series, Lent for Dummies, we're going to look at just three of these disciplines, hoping that as we enter into the season of Lent in a couple of weeks, you might consider adopting some of these disciplines into your own life. And this this three-week series is really a practical how-to series. That is, is we're going to be focusing on the very basic practicalities. We'll talk a little bit about you know, the philosophy or the overarching themes, but we really want to dig down into if you were going to do this, what are the actual steps that you should take and what are the things that you and I need to know about? Now today we're going to be talking about how to fast and pray. We picked the largest pastor to give that sermon, I guess. Next week, the Pastor Joe's going to come and teach us how to forgive. I'm fully expecting the church to be packed next week for that message. And then the final week, Pastor Drew, our pastor of worship arts, is going to talk to us about how to worship. And so these three very practical sermons are going to hopefully be able to help you Uh, consider these practices, these disciplines in your own spiritual life. Now, every week we provide study notes, and they're going to be provided today and the next couple of weeks as well. Even more important, I think, because we, we have these study questions in a little rack to the left of the Welcome Center out in the foyer, and lots of times those study questions are picked up by those of you who are in small group ministries, I want to encourage all of you to get into small group ministries. But even if you're not in a small group ministry, uh, my suggestion to you is to just stop by, pick up one of those study sheets, and use that through the week as you seek to do your own devotion and prepare yourself spiritually uh, for this coming season. Also, you might have seen in various places, uh, we now are on Version Bible app. And so if you have the Version Bible app, You can also uh, click on uh, the place, find South Suburban Christian Church, and our notes are listed in the Bible app as well. If you have questions about that, please go talk to James. I have no clue. So, So let's get into our message. When most of us think about fasting and praying, this is the image that comes to mind. That is, is that, well, when I fast, I don't get to eat any food. Now, for those of us who are 50 or older, well, most of us have fasted at least a day, right, before a particular procedure, okay? 
and, and, and we get to cap that wonderful day of no food off with some wonderful strawberry or, or fruit-tasting drink that, well, you know what I'm talking about. Well, let me just say, that's not Christian fasting. It may be fasting, but it's not in the Christian tradition. Jesus begins the text that was read today with these words. When you fast. That is, it is his assumption that you and me, his followers, will fast. Not if, but when. Now, let me just state a few things before we get into this message. First of all, fasting is more than just not eating. It's an act of worship. It's an act of submission to God. So as we are thinking about these how-to things, let me reinforce some points that I want you to remember. I've already said it three times. I'm going to say it again. Fasting is more than just not eating. It is, as Isaiah 58 outlines, a time for God to transform our hearts, to change us. Fasting is not a sign of our righteousness. Quite the opposite. It's a sign of our brokenness, our humility. In fasting, God is pleased that we're willing to give something up for him. A lot of folks say, man, I'd give up anything for the Lord. Well, here's something you can give up. Give up food. Give up something else. We'll get into that. Consider fasting a part of your personal submission to the Lord. And finally, fasting is not about feeling holy. Trust me, you will not feel holy while you're in the middle of this fast. It's about seeking after God. Now, there are lots of examples in the Bible of fasting. Now, in the study notes that I've already told you about, I've listed only six of, uh, of the more prominent examples of fasting in the Bible. But by and large, when Christians, when the church, talk about fasting, we generally understand it having three basic benefits. Number one, it is a sign that we are humble before God and that we're willing to give something up for Him. Number two, it's a sign of our desire for something or seeking His help in making an important decision. And number three, the act of fasting actually gives us extra time to do something that we might say we don't have enough time to do. Folks might say, well, I don't have enough time to pray. We got a fix for that? Don't eat. And spend that time praying. Well, I don't have enough time to read the Bible. Got a fix for that? Don't eat. And spend that time reading your Bible. Spend that time in private worship. But remember, it's more than just not eating. Fasting in the Christian tradition, fasting according to the Scriptures, fasting according to how Christians have understood it for almost over 2,000 years, is that fasting is always, always, always accompanied by something else, and most usually that is prayer. Fasting and prayer go together. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, if you've been in our training for service classes, you'll know, as we have been looking at the journeys of Paul lately, that this is the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. In the book of Acts, Paul makes three missionary journeys. Some might say, but didn't he do four? Well, the fourth one, he goes to Rome and is martyred. He's put to death for his faith. But he makes three missionary journeys. And this is the beginning, in Acts chapter 13, of his first missionary journey. This is an example of the communal fasting of the church, that the church is fasting together. Notice the text says that the church was worshiping and fasting. Can you imagine what it would look like if South Sub Church, as a congregation, fasted? The Spirit of God would be unleashed beyond even our imagination. But fasting is always accompanied by prayer, primarily. And so once in the midst of this church, worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit actually speaks to the whole church and says to the whole church together so that no one is, is misunderstood. There, there's, no, there's no differences of opinion. The whole church, because of their fasting and their prayer, comes to hear the Holy Spirit say, set apart Barnabas and Paul. And what do they do? They then pray and fast. Now notice that fasting is a part of both of those things. They fasted in worship. They fasted and prayed. And when they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. That is, they set them apart. The modern church calls that they ordained them for that missionary journey. Now, before we go too far into this, I first of all want to say, in 1995, I was ordained to the ministry. And no one told me, I don't remember a young punk kid preacher to be, and no one told me that I should have spent that time in preparing for that day fasting and praying. And that little white clapboard church on the corner of Park Row and Bay Street in Snow Hill, Maryland, I can only imagine if the preacher said, on Sunday we're going to ordain Ike to the ministry, we'd like for all of you to fast. I think the whole church probably nod their head and say, oh, that sounds good. And then Sunday morning they'd probably have bacon and eggs. But what would it look like if fasting became a part of how Christians understand our faith? Now, in the Christian church movement, we understand ourselves as seeking to look back to the model of the first century church. That is, is the church in the New Testament. And seeking to live our lives like the church in the New Testament. For example, the church in the New Testament, as outlined in the book of Acts, celebrates the Lord's Supper every time they meet. Therefore, we celebrate the Lord's Supper every time we meet. According to the book of Acts, we see the example of baptism being by uh, immersion of adults. So we, therefore, baptize adults by immersion. But the first century church, the New Testament church, also fasted. If we want to be a church that looks to the New Testament for the model of our faith, fasting needs to be a part of that. Now, 
let, let me say something else. When this, this message is on fasting and prayer, and there's a lot to cover here, so I kind of assume that most of us got prayer down. If we don't, we're continuing to work on it. But, but let me just say just for a few moments a little, thing, a little bit about prayer. You know, sometimes people think prayer is, is that we have to sit down and talk to God and talk and talk and talk some more. Now, for those of us who are married or in committed relationships, when you all sit down to have conversations, is it a fruitful exchange when just one of you talks? How many wives haven't said to me in my years of, of marriage counseling and pastoral counseling, said, I want to talk to him, but he won't say anything. I won't tell you what the husbands say. Conversation isn't very good if only one of you is talking. And prayer is nothing more than a conversation with God. And yet we assume that we are the ones that have to do all the talking. My suggestion to you is, is that in your prayer, after you've made your request, your concerns, your fears, that, that's all good. Once you have presented that to God, be quiet. Be silent. Focus your hearts and minds on God. Listen for His voice. Consider prayer, perhaps, as reading Scripture, particularly the Psalms, the book of the Psalms in the Old Testament, which is a book of prayers or other prayers in the Bible. Once you've done that, then listen, reflect, focus, pour out your heart to God. That's all a good thing. But then give God some time to speak back to you. And all the more if you're doing it in the midst of a fast. It'll make it more than just not eating. It'll make it a time of joyful presence with God. All right. But what about the actual fasting? Well, let's talk about some of the ways the Bible and the church has understood fasting. These are the actual names. This is the practical part. So we're going to get into some nuts and bolts now. There are three basic kinds of fasts. One of them is called the full fast. Now, this is the most rigorous kind of fast. This kind of fast generally goes at least one full day and most commonly multiple days. Many Christians from the earliest years of the church used to fast beginning on Good Friday, the Friday before Easter, all the way to Easter Sunday or the feast day of the resurrection. During this time, it is appropriate, if you are healthy, to only drink water. Now listen, if you have health issues, if you're diabetic, if you're nursing or you're pregnant, or you have some other health issue, you, do, you are not required to do this. The church has never required people whose health doesn't allow you to do it safely to do this. There are other ways that you can exercise your spiritual discipline of fasting. Don't put yourself in any jeopardy or danger. It's not, going to make, it's not going to make you any more righteous. But for those of us who can do it, Jesus assumes we will do it. The other fast is a partial fast. Now this fast is generally the most popular kind of fast. Primarily because it's done in just, maybe if this could be a partial fast A and partial fast B, 
So one of, the, one of the kinds of partial fast is to only fast during daylight hours. So if you get up before daylight, you could have a small breakfast. Then you don't eat the whole time it's daylight. And then once the sun has set, you can, you can have a small supper or dinner, whatever you call it. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, I know a religion that does that. And some of you might be aware that in Islam, there's a season of fasting where they fast during the daylight hours. Well, guess what? That's a tradition that started with the church. They stole it from us. But it was a Christian tradition to fast during daylight hours and eat small meals at night or when the sun had set, not feasting and gorging as many in in, in some Muslim communities do. But that's one way to do a partial fast. Another way to do a partial fast is, is to skip a meal. You can skip breakfast. Now, I know probably some of you are saying, well, I skip breakfast every day. Well, yes, skipping breakfast so that you can get to work on time is not a Christian fast. Now, you got to have prayer. Well, pastor, I'm praying as I'm driving. Yes, calling out God's name that way is not prayer, okay? Or you could skip lunch, and you could spend that time at lunch praying, Bible reading, or you could skip dinner or supper as long as you spend that time praying or Bible reading. You see, prayer and fasting Always, always, always go together. Now, during this time of a partial fast, the appropriate beverage is water. And water alone. Not water with, with a little packets of flavoring. Not, not water that, that has the hint of strawberry. And definitely things like protein shakes or milk or beverages with caffeine Those things are not considered substitutes for your meal. Not to mention, I don't know if you know this, but when you drink caffeinated beverages, it actually makes you hungrier. So I'd stay away from caffeinated beverages if at all possible. If you can, stick with plain water when you've decided to fast. The third fast is often called the Daniel fast, or as some folks might call it, a juice fast. Now, the term Daniel fast actually comes from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. You might remember that story or know that book. Uh, Daniel and some of his friends are Jews. They've been taken into captivity in Babylon, and they become servants in the king's court. And the king wants his servants to be well-fed and healthy, and he assumes that the best way to do that is, is that everybody in his court, even if they're slaves, has to eat the same food that he eats. The problem is, is the food that he eats is considered unclean by Jewish standards. And so Daniel asks the steward, the head guy who's in charge of the servants and slaves, let us eat only fruits and vegetables for a season, and then after that, judge which of us is healthier. And so they have a fruit and vegetable fast. And so what they find is, is at the end of this set period of time that Daniel and his friends look and act healthier than the other servants who are in the king's court. And so that's why this is called a Daniel's fast. Now, in a Daniel fast, there is no meat, no sweets, and no bread. Fruits and vegetables only. A Daniel fast can be for one meal or for an extended period of time. I have a lot of friends who are pastors who every time they're trying to discern whether or not God is calling them to a new ministry or to a new place, they will spend a week or more in a Daniel's fast, only eating fruits and vegetables. Now, I've laid out these three main fasts for you. And you may have decided which one of these you want. 
Now, if you have never fasted before, if this is all new to you, if you've heard the word and thought that was only something people that lived thousands of years ago did, be very careful. A full fast may not be the fast for you, but you can start with a partial fast. You can start by skipping one meal, or you can begin with a Daniel's fast, eating only fruits and vegetables. But let's just say that you have said to yourself or to God in your heart, appreciate pastor's comments about this. I agree with him. I think this is something that we ought to do. I recognize that it's a part of the, 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 the Bible. I recognize that it's what Jesus wants me to do. I desire a closer relationship with God. I've got something in my life that needs to be dealt with. I covenant with you right now, O oh God. I plan to fast and pray. Okay, pastor, how do I do this? Well, first of all, start with a goal. Decide what you're praying for. It may be a deeper relationship with the Lord. You may be making, trying to make a decision about a job or a relationship. But if at all possible, be specific. Don't just say, Lord, I'm fasting for a better life. That's not specific enough. Now you could say, Lord, I'm fasting so that I can receive uh, a word from you that I can discern whether or not I should change jobs. Fast with your intention to be uh, a better husband or a better wife in your marriage. Fast because you have a problem or an issue with your spouse or a problem or an issue that you, you and your spouse might be going through, health-related or financial, might be your children. For that matter, you could fast for someone else. You could fast for South Sub Kids or South Sub Youth. You heard earlier that we're in this nominations process. What would it look like if we agreed to fast together, whichever way, full, partial, or Daniel, so that God would help us discern the best brothers and sisters in Christ to call into leadership in this congregation? If you're a parent, you might want to fast for your children, for their safety, if you're not married, you might want to fast for your future spouse. You might want to fast for uh, a friend who is discerning whether or not to receive Christ and be obedient unto baptism. If you're an employer, what would it look like if you fasted for your employees? If you're a business owner, what would it look like to fast for your customers? If you're an employee, what would it look like to fast for your boss? She or he might be interested in that, huh? If you're a teacher, what would it look like to fast for your students? We could all fast for our political leaders. Can I get an amen? We can fast for our nation. We can fast for our schools. We can fast for our neighborhoods. Think about what it is you are going to fast for. What is the goal? And once you've got the goal, prepare spiritually. Now, I always encourage folks to spend time seeking God's grace. Ask for forgiveness. Confess your, your sins to the Lord. We all walk through some semblance of brokenness. We all walk through some sense of not understanding God's grace and mercy. Present yourself before the Father with humility. Say something like, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm impatient and that I yelled at my family or my employees or the guy sitting there parked at the green light. Father, forgive me for being afraid to share the gospel with my family, friends, or coworkers. 
take this time in preparation spiritually to recognize that you and I don't know everything. Allow yourself to, 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 to have God pour out on you the humility that is necessary for his people. You know, I don't really think that we even know what we need most of the time. But God knows what we need. God knows where we need to be. God knows what we need to be doing. If you're at odds with someone else or a brother or sister, go and reconcile to them either before, during, or as a result of the fast. This is a spiritual exercise. That's what the church calls it. How many of you would say exercise is easy? Raise your hands. Oh, no Pentecostals in this place today. You know, it's supposed to be hard. That's why we call them spiritual exercises or spiritual disciplines. Discipline is difficult. But it is a time to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and to offer God our hearts and our minds so that God can transform us. Next, decide what you will fast. Now, this is really a combination of deciding which fast you will do, a full, partial, or Daniel's, or deciding that tomorrow is the day that you will fast your lunch, or that on the weekend you will fast eating meat. You'll only eat fruits and vegetables. And you know what? It doesn't need to be food. You can fast a sporting event as long as you spend the time that you would be at that sporting event in prayer. You can fast getting coffee at the high-cost, expensive coffee places as long as you consider that the money you might have spent on that $5 cup of coffee, you'll put toward the church or a ministry or, or, or a missionary effort. You might want to fast time watching television at night as long as you spend that time in prayer and Bible study. You might want to fast playing games on your phone as long as you spend that time in prayer or Bible reading. You might want to fast social media. You might want to just give up social media as long as you spend that time in prayer and Bible reading. Are you seeing a theme here? Well, what's next? Well, next, decide what you will fast. I've already said that. Then next, decide how long you will fast and stick to it. So this is the point that you need to be very careful. The worst thing that you can do is say, you know what? I'm going to do a three-day full fast. You will, and if this is your first time fasting, you will probably fail. You'll feel bad about yourself. You won't ever want to do it again. You need to consider starting easy on this. This is a new spiritual discipline. So, so maybe what you want to do is just you want to start with a Daniel's fast one meal. So just have fruits and vegetables, whatever that looks like, for breakfast or lunch. And then once you kind of got the Daniel fast down and you're feeling good about it and, and you say, the Holy Spirit is, is strengthening me, no one, when they start exercising or, or preparing for a marathon, goes out and runs 10 miles. They start out running around the block. They start around walking around the block. And then you build up slowly. This is the same way with this discipline of fasting. And then once you've got the Daniel fast and you're feeling good about it, then consider a partial fast. Maybe just one meal a day where you'll only have water. 
Then two meals a day where you only have water. And then maybe just daylight hours. And then just maybe one entire day. You, you, you've probably heard this whole idea of, of I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. Listen, <laughs> if that's what you need to do, great. I've decided to give up cigarette smoking, smoking for Lent, mainly because I don't smoke cigarettes. So it'll be easy for me. Okay? Um, listen. It's not about what you, some of you got nervous, didn't you? It's, what, it's not what you're giving up, it's how long and why you're giving it up, you see. So, so, so if you decide to give up something for Lent, what is the spiritual transformation of that which you're giving up? Whether you're going to use that time and prayer and Bible reading, or you're going to use those resources for the work of the kingdom. After you've decided how long you're going to do it and that you're ready to stick to it, now you need to know what to expect. Now, first of all, let's look at the spiritual implications. Let me just say to you, fasting is powerful. Expect that breakthroughs are going to happen with your marriage. Expect God to meet you and satisfy your spirit, your hunger for him in the midst of your fast. Expect God to act in the life of your spouse, your church, your finances. Expect God to show up to answer your prayers. But be mindful that sometimes God's answer is no or not yet. But know that God gives you the grace to accept his word even if we don't understand it. But expect God to unleash his power in your life when you fast. You will be able to overcome temptations. You will experience victory. Okay, what about the physical effects of fasting? Now, if you're going to do a partial fast for the day, and this is your first time, you're going to get hungry. I don't know if you've thought about that. Folks who fast several days, and I've never done a fast longer than three days, but I have some friends who have, and they say... Maybe some of you want to try this out. They say that after the third day, the hunger pains go away, that they're not hungry anymore. I don't know if I believe that or not, but that's what they say. But I think the hunger pains are actually helpful because they help me stay mindful to prayer. So every time that I sense my hunger, I pray. It helps me focus on what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Here's some other practical, even biological things that are going to happen when you fast. Your body is going to detoxify and eliminate toxins from your system. That's why it's important for you to drink water. You probably need to drink more water than normal when you decide to fast. There's going to be mild discomfort, such as headaches and irritability, during your withdrawal from caffeine and sugar. Now, at the first service, my wife Shauna is teaching down at South Sub Kids, so she's not here at this service. But at the first service, she busted out laughing on the front row. There's nothing worse when the pastor preaching, his wife bust out laughing. Mainly because she knows I can be irritable at a buffet. I don't need a fast to be irritable. <laughs> but you're going to sense some irritability. It's going to be a shock to your body, and that's all a good thing. Also remember that if you have been refraining from things like coffee for a couple of days, when you come back to it, that one cup is going to have a kick to it. 
As a matter of fact, when you give up things like sugar for a period of time and then try to go back to it, you'll find that it's too much sugar and you taste sweet and everything because fasting changes our body the same way fasting changes our spirit. Fasting helps us to look forward. And this is my final word for you today. You know, in the ancient world, Christians had a cycle of fasting and feasting. And in our American culture today, we love excess. We like big cars, big homes, big games. Pastor Joe said big gulps. We like everything big. And we go from one big thing to the next big thing. So much so that eventually the big things don't really mean anything to us. You and I are trying to teach our children the gift of delayed gratification, where they don't get everything that they want when they want it, because all that does is make you not appreciate what you get. The same thing happens with us adults. If we're constantly feeding ourselves and giving ourselves everything we want, then nothing satisfies us. And the greatest beauty of fasting is it teaches us the beauty of feasting. And that's why we call it the feast day of the resurrection. Because when you've denied yourself, you've gotten self-control. And when you've gotten self-control, you can begin to understand the joy and beauty of waiting. That's why Christmas Day is so powerful. It's why birthdays are so wonderful. It's why having a baby, waiting nine months, is so amazing. And if you're willing, in this season of Lent, to deny yourself so that you can see the joy of the feasting and the generosity God offers when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, your life will be different. Amen? Amen. As the elders make their way to this table, I find this a wonderful place to come, to feast. For the God that created all of the grain of the field and the animals of the forest and all of the food that is before us and all of the beauty and grandeur of God's creation, when he came to teach us the power of redemption, he picked a simple loaf of bread and the most common drink of the time, the fruit of the vine. And in the simplicity of this meal, in the meagerness of this meal, he calls us to feast on his grace. Will you do that today? For I give to you as it was given to me, that on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. And after he had given thanks for it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, when the supper was ended, he took the cup, and after he had given thanks for it, he gave to them, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. As oft as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Will you join with us now? as we ask for God's blessings to come down upon these sacred elements. Merciful God, we offer to you this loaf with humility and joy. You feed us by your word, and with this the bread of heaven. 
pour out your spirit upon this fruit of the land that we may take you in here at this table. Fill us with your grace. Remind us of your mercy. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. God of grace and mercy, we thirst for you. Pour out your spirit upon this cup of salvation that it might quench our thirst for you and for your righteousness. Hear us as we open to you our hearts, confessing our brokenness and acknowledging our need for your grace and mercy. We pray, O God, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Receive them in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Amen.